Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 117 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we were looking at the Polestar 2. This season of the podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. Before we started, I wanted to remind you that the season-ending roundtable episode will be episode 120. Stay tuned for that. Our main topic of discussion today is a continuation of our occasional series on the electric vehicles you can actually buy and use today. We get real drivers of these cars in and talk to them about the day-to-day experience of living with their particular vehicle. On past episodes, we've covered the I-PACE, the Peugeot E208, sorry, the Peugeot E2008, the i3, the Leaf, the Model 3, and the E-Nero, amongst others, and links for these are in the show notes. Today, we're looking at the Polestar 2. To help us with our discussions, I'm delighted to welcome Matthew Thompson. He's a Polestar 2 driver who's had his car for around 17 months now. In this discussion, we'll cover buying his Polestar while living abroad, what car he originally went for, why he elected to not go for a Tesla Model 3, and why he thinks Android Automotive needs to be a little more open. As a framing for this discussion, Matthew used to live in Canada and he used car sharing services there. He'd opted for the electric versions of the vehicles wherever possible. When it came time for him to leave Canada, I asked him whether he decided then that the Polestar was the one to buy. I know, nearly. Oh. <laughs> I actually was due to move to Austin. And it was going to be the BMW i3. Nice car. I'd seen a load available on the second-hand market in the US. And I'd, I'd got myself absolutely set on the i3. Mm. Was the beginning of 2020. None of that happened. I had to not go to Austin. I had to relocate back to the UK. And I didn't know what I wanted. But I knew that I needed a, I needed a car because either I was going to have to drive to work or I was going to have to drive to family. At the time, I had family situations that required me to be able to get to them at the drop of a hat if I was in the UK. So I was looking predominantly for a car that I could get purely online where they wouldn't mind that I was in another country while I ordered it. And there weren't many online ordering facilities for new vehicles. Okay. Now, if you're going down the avenue of online, then obviously I'm going to have all my listeners shouting at the... Uh, with the T word, thing. yeah. The T word, yes. Was that ever a consideration for a Tesla? It was. It wasn't easy. The problem was I needed to contact Tesla and ask, and they made it sound easy with lots of buts. What, the ordering process itself? The paying for it, registering it, being in the country type thing... There, there wasn't as much, ironically, flexibility as Polestar offered me. Given what you've just said, the difficulties appear to be outside the actual vehicle itself and more in the ordering and delivering process. Did you ever do a, uh, a head-to-head comparison between the Tesla and the Polestar? I didn't do one in real life. I just did one on paper. And they came up basically pretty close. Okay. At that time, a Model 3 with the options that I would want and a Polestar, they were basically the same sort of price. I liked some of the technology in the Tesla that even today is still missing from the Polestar. I didn't want the electric Escort. So the Polestar just looks different. For a start, it has the driver's display, which is something I really liked the the idea of. 
and it was easier for me to to talk to the the Polestar guys to to get ordered. I placed an order in June of 2020 and took delivery of the car in September. And was that on a timeline that they defined or was it a timeline you defined? That was actually on a timeline that they'd defined and it was it came in quicker than they'd originally defined. They they provided me with a delivery date of October, but then it came in on on the ship earlier, and I managed to get it on a on an early delivery. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about it uh, now. I'm not a hundred percent familiar with the different versions. Is there just a Polestar Two, or can you get different versions of the Polestar Two? When I purchased mine, it was you get the Polestar Two. You can choose the color. You mm-hmm. can choose to have leather. And you can choose to have the performance upgraded brakes and suspension. Did you go for the upgrade? I didn't. As I was purchasing outright, it felt like too much of a an upgrade. And also, I'm buying a car that I've never even seen in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the difference is. I thought I'll just go for the 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 standard one in the standard color without any options because I can probably get it quicker. Okay, now let, let's just rewind a second though. You're saying you bought a vehicle that you've never actually seen in the flesh and that's absolutely fine. But in that case, why did Polestar come onto your radar as being one to look at? Um, I mean, you've, you've just said the reason you didn't necessarily go for Tesla is because you didn't want to have you know the Ford uh, Escort of uh, electric cars. Why did Polestar appear on your radar? It's a new brand, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's basically an electric Volvo. Mm-hmm. And with the Polestar 1 and the Polestar 2, the designs are Volvo designs. And I, I like the the current Volvo look. So I was comfortable with the look. I felt comfortable that the engineering would be up to Volvo's standards. So it felt like it was a comfortable option even if the name isn't well known amongst a lot of people, actually the vehicle sort of is because of its XC40 underpinnings. All right, let's talk a few figures now. How many miles have you done since you picked it up in 2020? So it's got nearly 14,000 on the clock at the moment. Okay, and that's, well, that's less than 1,000 a month, isn't it? So you're, um, you're not putting a huge amount of mileage on it, are you? No, I had a period of about six months where I wasn't working. Um, so there were fewer regular trips mm-hmm. and also lockdown. I, I did on a lockdown. I decided that it wasn't appropriate to keep doing, doing trips, but I may have gone for a very long coffee one or one or two times. Ah, uh, a coffee a long way away, you mean? Uh, yeah. A coffee at the other end of a motorway, maybe. So what has been the longest individual journey you've done? The longest individual, as in one, one run, that, that would be part of a holiday up to Scotland. So I drove up to the Lake District, stayed overnight. That's the longest single run. And you're based in what area of the country? I'm in Cambridgeshire at the moment. Okay. So that was a, a, decent, a decent run. Yeah. I then drove virtually all of the way around Scotland over the course of about two weeks. So overall on that journey, how many miles did you put on the uh, on the vehicle? Uh, one and a half thousand. In, Ooh, that's not bad. In that time. But also it was a really useful trip for me because after that, 
I just do not have range anxiety. I am comfortable with virtually any journey now. Okay, well, let's talk range. And you're, the battery in yours, is it the 61 kilowatt hour or the 75 kilowatt hour? It's the 75. So we're looking at two, a usable range, 250? 240 if I don't go too fast on the motorway. Mm-hmm. I have got 280 out of it, but that was mostly a road with an average of around 50, 55 miles an hour. How, how close have you run it down to zero? I think the lowest is probably about 4%. Pur- purposefully aiming to do that, knowing that I was arriving at a charger. Now, when you get to a charger, you plug it in, obviously it's CCS. What um, sort of maximum charges, charge speeds are you getting? Originally, when I first got the car, I saw maybe 100 at most. Not long afterwards, they tweaked the charging curve, and I can now very regularly see... 145, 150. Now that's good because the maximum power on those, I believe, is 151. Yeah, I've seen 155 delivered to the car. I think the 151 is probably what the battery can take and the rest is the, the car using other other items like heating. Um, I'm actually looking at the charge curve um, at the moment from uh, Fastened. Interestingly, it's, it's one of those like the, um, the e-tron. If you stick it on a 50 kilowatt charger it will just ramp straight up to 50 kilowatts and stay there right up to 80%, uh, which is fantastic, I think, because I find there's a lot more of the 50 kilowatts around, obviously, than uh, anything more than that, although I try to to go to the fastest charger that I can. What's your experience on the actual charge curve itself? Because looking at what I've seen here, it looks a little bit interesting, I think is the phrase. Have you seen the charge curve? I have. I... I charged at one of Osprey's Kempower chargers a few days ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay on it for long, so it didn't hit 145. I arrived with about high 30s percentage, mm-hmm. so it wasn't in the optimum. But it got to got to close to 100, stayed there for a short time, and then gradually it tends to drop down and then ramp up a little bit and then drop down and then ramp up a little bit as it hits each of its points along its curve. And that's I that's what I find quite interesting, because as I say, I'm looking at it here and it's got the step down, but as you quite rightly say, it doesn't sort of go flat and then drop. It goes flat, then it increases a bit, then it'll drop down to the next level, then it'll go yeah. flat, increase a bit, and drop down to the next level. It's an interesting charge curve, not one I think I've seen similar to. Why would he do that? Do we have any idea? I'm not too sure other than there's likely set points percentage-wise, and then it bases it on actual performance. So my my estimation would be that it knows that, let's say, 40%, it wants to drop down to 80 kilowatts. It drops down, but then when it's comfortable, it can go back up. It it allows a little bit more to be pulled. But I'm relatively comfortable with the, with the charge curve on it. I've done 11% to 80 in, I think that was 39 minutes. I've had stops at a motorway service station where literally it is just enough time to walk to the services, do what I need, grab food and drink, sit down and consume it, get back, and it's basically at 80%. Uh, let's move on and ask a little bit more about the actual, the vehicle itself rather than just the um the, the charging and that what's it like to actually drive inside you know it, it's 
obviously it's marketed as a, a premium vehicle, so it'd be. And I'm obviously I've, I've sat inside them, but does it drive like a big heavy uh, machine, or is it not dissimilar to the uh, the Leaf that you were talking about in uh, in Canada? You know that you've got a heavy car. Yeah. It's not. It's not a lightweight vehicle, and it doesn't pretend to be. And does that affect the handling, cornering, that sort of thing? It's surprisingly, surprisingly confident around corners. I can, I can throw the car around, and I haven't had it lose control. It is a, it is a very competent car. It's, it surprises me how well it will take a corner. What is your uh, sort of rating on the? the user interface with the the screens because uh, to be perfectly honest one of the things that always preys in the back of my mind when i hear the word polestar is it runs off android yes and i'm an iphone user yes snap and i don't hear good things about android and hacking and that sort of stuff now i haven't heard anything about that happening to a polestar but what what's your opinion on the the operating system that runs it all i like it with a hell of a lot of caveats go on <laughs> It's it's great having proper Google. Mm-hmm. It's great having Spotify native in the car. They've just delivered a web browser. We have Vivaldi that came as a, a bit of a Christmas present from Polestar. Coming up, they're releasing YouTube. So the upgradability is definitely there. The App Store is there. What the App Store isn't is full of apps. And Google's Google's design ethos for Android Automotive, the in-car version, not Android Auto, the mirrored from your phone version, is really restrictive. They restrict what application vendors are allowed to put into the store so tightly, so so much so that virtually every interesting application has been put into the store by Polestar directly. So they've worked with a better route planner, Vivaldi, to put those apps into the app store. They're published by Polestar because they've got the ability to publish for almost anything because it's their vehicle, whereas a third-party developer has to stick to Google's restrictions. And has that sort of set of restrictions and the limitations that have been put on by Polestar, is that to try and avoid the situation that we've seen with certain other vehicles that have over-the-air updates where they've been adding functionality which could distract the driver whilst driving? I imagine so, but Google aren't very public in what their plans for Android Automotive are. So they say that you can have mapping apps and audio apps and that's about it. They Mm -hmm. don't give any big spiel as to and this is the reason why so i suppose the the sort of colliery question to that is what isn't there that you would like to be there within android automotive i'd like to see a few more apps along the likes of um, zap map would be really useful applications that may be tailored to a phone interface but could run anyway in the same way that you can choose to run an iPhone app on an iPad. It might be nice, even if I can only run it while in a parked mode, it might be nice to run some other apps on the car directly, such as the the local government um, parking app, so that I can pay for the I can pay for the car parking directly off the off the car interface rather than have to get my phone out and, and do it separately. This is a question which the answer is probably self evident. Can you run Apple CarPlay off it? 
So that's one of the items that I was promised when I bought the car. And Polestar claim will be available later this year. They claim spring 2022. However, it's going to be via a plug-in wired interface. Mm, better than nothing. Yeah. Still. So can you currently run Android Auto on there? As far as I'm aware, there are no plans for Android Auto on Android Auto Motive head units because Google believes that why would you need one when you have it native? Because you can run ZapMap on Android Auto and not yes. on Android Automotive. <laughs> so at the moment, Polestar are publicly stating that Apple CarPlay will be available. Android Auto won't. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why I would encourage anyone who has an EV-oriented app that is available on Android to look at what it could be adapted to for in-car use. Because although at the moment it's just Polestar and Volvo, many other auto providers are going to be using the Google Android automotive platform. I know that the Stellantis group have got plans for it. Well, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Rather yeah. than having to develop your own in-house one. Um, let's move on a little bit outside the actual user interface. What sort of additional things um, come as standard, uh, I'm, I'm assuming automated cruise, um, adaptive cruise controls, things like yep. lane keep assist, sensors, that sort of stuff. Is there anything that isn't there you would have liked? So the, the launch car had no options. It literally had virtually everything. The only things that I find it missing are the, the Android Auto elements. From a driving point of view, everything's there. The adaptive cruise control, lane keep assist, speed limit. I might like a slightly easier way of switching between a couple of the modes. I think the only thing that it's missing that I would potentially have added as an option, if it were, is seat ventilation. That only came with leather, and I didn't choose the leather interior. Okay, now that's interesting because regular listeners of the podcast will know that uh, whilst the current car that I have is the first I've ever had that has these particular functions, I'm now never going to be able to to buy a car <laughs> that doesn't have heated seats and a heated steering wheel. And I have those, and yes, they are, especially especially with an EV where you don't necessarily want to heat the interior fully for a short journey. Yeah. They are just amazing. Is the Polestar um, resistive heating or is it heat pump? Mine is resistive. Later ones have the option of a heat pump. And yeah, with a, a range of 250 miles, that's not necessarily a big uh, handicap, is it? If you're down like I am on a... Kia Soul with 100 miles and a resistive heater could sap it a lot more, which is why I'm glad mine's got a heat pump in it. So, Overall, has the Polestar lived up to expectations? As a car, yes. As a toy, as a piece of technology, less so. Interesting. So do you feel, I, I'm going to use the word advisedly, do you feel cheated out of the money that you've spent for it? No. And I would buy another. Oh, well, that's always a good indicator of whether somebody likes a vehicle or not, whether they buy another. What What are the plans with yours? Are you planning to move on to another one or are you going to keep it until it's uh, hit its warranty or, or what? how long are you anticipating keeping it? I'd probably keep it until the warranty. So that's seven years, eight years? Uh, the battery warranty, I think, is it's seven or eight, but the vehicle overall is three with an upgrade to four for some of the earlier earlier 
buyers. The um, yeah, I will probably want to buy another car in that time just because I like new shiny things. And by that time, I'm hoping that the newer generations of EV first Polestars are available. So the uh, the new Polestar three, four, and five will be electric from the ground up, rather than an ice platform with batteries inserted into it. So they should be lighter, more efficient, all of the good stuff that you get from a, a dedicated platform. Oh, now you brought up the key word that I think we conveniently glossed over there. What sort of efficiency are you getting from yours? On a on an average average day, I probably get about three to 3.3 miles per kilowatt hour not bad for a big vehicle it is yeah it's it is a it is a good car for for its weight it's uh it's hugely heavy it's it's not as efficient as the tesla completely accept that but it doesn't it doesn't penalize you further if it was as light as the tesla i think it would get fairly close to its efficiency and uh, what's it like for uh, space inside? Presumably, uh, do you have a family? I don't. It is just me. I haven't wanted for more space apart from one day recently when I was uh, loading the car absolutely to the brim with packages. The The car's got a lot of places you can hide stuff. There's a big underfloor area in the boot. The fruit is minimal, cables and that's it. But it already has a few elements of safety kit in there has a triangle and the like the front is a little cramped for some people i'm not that tall so i don't have the problem with leg space i have short legs they don't interfere with the the side console but i know some people with longer legs don't like the center console it is very cocooning yes i think that's what i've noticed i was um I was on a charger once and someone pulled up next to me. And that's the first impression as you're looking through the uh, the passenger window. It's kind of, that looks as if it's, it's a bit snug, I think is the phrase I would use. It isn't helped by the, the colour scheme as well. It looks smaller inside than it is. It's still a big car, but it looks very, very wraparound and, and, and snug. I don't think it's as small inside as a lot of people think, but... As with any car, it, it's definitely one to have a good long sit-in. Don't just get in it, get out of it. Which would have been a bit of an issue for you because, as you say, you purchased this sight unseen, so you'd never actually sat in one before you got it? Never sat in one. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking it's the all-black interior? It's a very, very dark grey, yes. Yeah, which doesn't help. That does give you an impression of it being sort of smaller inside than you would expect, doesn't it? But that is also the the colour scheme that I would have chosen anyway. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I can't stand on a, a car, especially when you're looking out through the window, if it's got a, a bright sort of dashboard, because when the sun shines, it just throws a huge white reflection up on the, uh, on the windscreen. So the darker it is, the better as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Have I missed anything that you might want to talk about in terms of the Polestar? In terms of the car, I don't think so. There have been some fun moments with the after sales support have you had niggles there were some niggles with the early cars there were some recalls most of them got dealt with really really easily there was uh, one which was dealt with as a software update so exactly the same way that tesla does with a lot of theirs polestar now deals with some of their recalls as software updates over the air 
one was a component exchange so one of the one of the drivetrain components needed exchanging and to make up for this Polestar offered an extra year's warranty and internet connectivity and some charging for early early adopters of the vehicle. Unfortunately, mine hadn't until very recently ever taken an over-the-air update. What it turned out was it was the security certificates needed updating. Right. So just like on a on a website where you have an SSL certificate, the car has has its own set of certificates to make sure they're all valid. And mine seemed to have gotten confused and needed a a full full reinstallation of all of its security certificates at a at a dealer. So you said you bought the car online. Are there actually now Polestar official sort of bricks and mortar Polestar dealers? Dealers, no. They call them spaces. So they are retail-focused and design-focused spaces, typically in shopping malls, so the likes of the Trafford Centre and Westfield. And you can go in, sit sit in one, you can do a test drive, they have a bank of them connected to chargers outside, and you can do all of your paperwork and all of your purchasing. But for the after-sales service, it tends to fall back on the Volvo dealership. And are all Volvo dealerships qualified to service the Polestars? I believe most of them are now. My local one definitely has a Polestar qualified master technician. I've spoken to him a few times in the course of owning the vehicle, and they've been great. Good. Glad to hear that, because the last thing you want on something like a you know an expensive car like that is to have service uh, facilities that are not responsive and don't give you what you want etc etc presumably it's all everything you've had done has been covered under the uh, warranty all of those faults have i did i clipped a wing mirror that was an expensive uh, mistake (laughs) is that the kind of mistake you only do once yes the wing mirrors contain a lot of sensors and radio receivers and the like so that was a costly error I won't be doing that again. <laughs> uh, presumably, uh, blind spot monitoring is one of the things that it has. The yes, the blind spot monitoring light is in there, but the sensors are all in the rear bumper. Many thanks to Matthew for sharing his journey with us on the show today. He can be reached at m underscore eighty on Twitter. Why not give him a follow? And now it's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. I personally am very conscious of my carbon footprint. I've said on this podcast before that because of the work I used to do back in the day, I have a carbon footprint that I'll probably never be able to offset or remove. So I was really interested to hear about a book that's come out called How Bad Are Bananas? It basically looks at pretty much everything you can buy, grow or use on a day-to-day basis, and it gives you an indication of the actual carbon footprint of that item. Did you know, for example, that the carbon footprint of a pair of jeans is actually two and a half times higher than trousers made from synthetic material. It seems counterintuitive, but in much the same way as EVs are better long-term than ICE cars, jeans have a lower manufacturing cost per kilo, but are usually much heavier than similar synthetic material. When you add up the lifestyle cost of washing and drying the heavy materials, the overall footprint is much higher. And this book is literally packed with startling little revelations like that, and will have you seriously rethinking some of the things you do, buy and consume on a day-to-day basis. Click the affiliate link in the show notes if you want a copy of this book. We'll get a small portion of the sale price if you do. Thank you. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. 
ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features such as using ZapMap in car or on CarPlay or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingsEV. If you want to support the podcast and the associated newsletter, you are subscribed to the newsletter, right? Please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, and you can do just that. And you know what? It takes that good old Apple Pay as well. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called... So, you've gone electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Please check it out. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words, it's based on a Volvo. Hashtag, if you know, you know, nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, last year in the middle of lockdown, I asked him how he was staying fit. He told me he felt very pleased for himself as he'd just finished a marathon. 26 plus miles in a little less than four hours. When I asked him how he'd managed to avoid the stay-at-home orders during the lockdown, he threw me a wicked grin. I didn't do one in real life. I just did one on paper. Thanks for listening. Bye.